gives me great pleasure to welcome you to this week's episode of Value Nigeria Podcast. It's a honor to have you on the other side of this um, recording device, listening into all that we see week in, week out. Last week, we talked about strategies, how to invest, you know, things to think about even as we invest in 2022, which is a brand new year for all of us. Thank you for all the feedback you sent. Thanks for all the emails that you sent during the week. I really appreciate all of them. Believe me, this week we have a huge treat for you. I'm excited even to, to bring this week's episode to you. As we promised at the end of last year, this year we'll hope to have quite a number of interviews with a lot of people so that we can get a robust view from various angles of investing and um, you know just learning and improving our practice. In fulfillment of that promise, this week we have a guest that we'll be bringing to you. Our guest is a certified financial education instructor. He's an astute professional. He's had extensive experience in capital market operations, in treasury, in investments, in asset management, and in pension fund administration. He's vastly experienced and widely studied. Uh, he has a master's in business administration, and um, he is a member of the H. Pearson faculty. He's an alumnus of the Lagos Business School and a member of the Association of Financial Counseling and Planning Education and the American Financial Planning Association. He's also an alumnus of the West African Capital Market School and the New York Institute of Finance. Our guest today is a regular columnist in Business Day newspapers and even on the on the online blog Naira Metrics. It's a pleasure to have Mr. Kalu Aja on this week's episode of the podcast. And then we'll be talking about a wide range of subjects ranging from personal finance habits, investing on the stock exchange and all the way through to cryptocurrency. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the podcast. I have um, Mr. Kalu Aja and it promises to be a wonderful discussion. I just can't wait to unpack all that we have planned for everyone today. Um, so, Mr. Kalu, sir, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your background and how that background has influenced the person that you've become today? Yeah, hi, Oluwa. Uh, nice to be here. Nice to talk to you, finally. Yeah, so in terms of background, yeah, so um, I would say first degree was banking and finance, um, then an MBA, then first job was in a conglomerate. So that means where we, I think it was UAC. And they did everything. They did finance, they owned the bank, they owned the Canon brand, um, they owned fast food. So I think my I was very lucky that my first job allowed me to multitask and to be trained to really think like that, like a manager to multitask, understand money, understand how money is applied across an organization. That was very, very good training I got. Then after that, I think I went to a place called BGL. That was an investment bank. It was in the like flat structure, American style deal making, you know, uh, buy and sell securities uh, for large corporate clients. We were like buying, um, they used to buy um, field banks, recapitalize and sell. And of course, buy and sell securities in a large bulk. So that also introduced me to financial markets, deal making, and then pensions when I was there. Then from there, I went to uh, private banking in FCMV. Um, so high net worth individuals investing money, 
uh, learning how people think about risk and launch, um, transferring that capital that they've accumulated over time. And then a PFA uh, for about 10 years. And now, more or less, I work in a foundation. I, I head finance for that foundation. Then I also do my, um, what I'll call my pro bono and also my affinity work where I'm basically trying to educate people about personal finance, money, the economy. Uh, so that's been my personal background and it's helped me to basically do a lot and know a lot. And so when I now do my podcast and I write and I do all these interviews, it's a lot of experience I've gained about 20 years, you know, being in the financial sector, also in manufacturing, also in branding, also in private banking, and also in our pension for that. So that's my background, more or less. And that's influenced um, the person I am, how I view money, how I view the economy, and how, you know, how I am what I am, more or less. Does that help? Perfect, perfect. Um, look, looking at your your career background, your career-wise, you've had such a rich mix of, um, you know, from the conglomerate that you talked about to private equity to to market analysis to everything, it's such um, rich background that you have. And even leaving the career, coming to education to the financial education that you've gotten, um, I can see you've had training at um, the Lagos Business School. You had your MBA at um, U- University of Nigeria Nsuka. You've had exposure with the New York Institute of Finance. How how has all this mixed together? to influence your choices um, in finance today? Yeah, I think the, the one thing is that you, you meet people, I think the key thing is meeting people and understanding people's perspective. Uh, I think uh, in Lagos Business School, it was a lot of Nigerians, you know, the, the next level managers, those are the guys I went to school with. And I think I was in school with a guy from MTN, a guy from the Lagos State Government, many guys from the banks and all that. And you tend to hear those stories, how you're trying to navigate from being a management staff to an executive staff. So you you pick up on all those stories and how people are navigating and basically dealing with challenges in their organizations and how they're looking at personal development and also the economy. So that was good on that on that note. I think for the foreign ones, for like New York Institute of Finance, it was very interesting to to meet with your peers in a different continent, the different background entirely. I think when I was in that class, I was the only African in that class. And they, they, they back then there was not this um, culture of being very sensitive about um, you know foreigners and all that. So they were interested why I was in a, in a class studying. Uh, bonds. They were like, do, "Do you guys trade bonds in Africa?" They were like, and they were asking me, you know, honestly, they weren't trying to be racist, but they they just didn't understand why I was okay. Why are you trading the bonds for? What are you guys going to do with the bonds? You know, do you guys have a market? So, okay. so yeah, it was. So, I, so you know, that was just to give you that perspective. So when you, whatever you do on the news, those are the guys that are trading your bonds, right? Those guys don't know anything about really, and I mean it respectfully, they don't know anything about Africa. They don't really care if you have Africa rising. All they want to see is real risk and volatility. Mm. Yeah, that's how they are looking at it. So most times when we take these decisions, we have to understand that the guys that are actually doing the trading don't care about, you know, the social media. They really look at hard facts, you know, What's the revenue? What's the tax to GDP? You know, what's the Gini coefficient? How much oil price are they selling? 
They look at those hard facts and they take a decision and it's very impersonal because they really don't know per se. So that gave me that perspective sometimes when I talk, I tell people, hey, just focus on what matters. It's really from there that that's coming from. Now, going way back, way back now, how did you decide that finance or a career or a future, a life in finance was what called out to you? Why not medicine? Why not um, engineering? Why not something else? Can't think of it. Good question, right? So <clears throat> I remember in the, the, I got admission to study microbiology in the university and I was going to be a doctor. And I remember the, the, yeah, the Christmas holiday. I remember like yesterday, I watched Wall Street because it was the village. There was no cable. So it was a movie. So I don't know how someone brought a movie or VHS. It was Wall Street. And I watched Wall Street and I saw God in Gecko. I didn't understand what was going on. But I just said, I like this life. <laughs> I like what they were doing. I didn't understand what they were buying or what they were selling. But I just knew it was interesting and exciting. And I wanted to understand exactly what they were doing. I literally went to school. And I changed from microbiology to finance. And it's two different campus. I literally went to the guy and I told the guy, could I change? And the guy said, yeah, I can change you to professor or take it. I said, okay. So I went from Osaka to Ingo. The same school, but different campus. And I told the guy, I want to study finance. And the guy said, okay, let me see your results. I looked at my results. I said, okay, you have all the WIAC. And you go to school, go school in JAM. And that's how I moved to study finance. I didn't apply for finance in JAM. I switched over. And that was it because of a movie. So it's the images, the role models, mentorship. It's very important what 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 people see and motivates them. It's it's a powerful tool. That's that's just what I'll say. And it's in the West, whatever a kid wants to be, he can be. If you want to study ants, if you want to study nuclear physics, you can do it. But in Africa, many people get jobs because you want to study what gets you a job, right? And I think that's just a big shame that people have to study what they don't like because they want to get a job in a bank or get a job in an oil company. So they just go study accounting or you go study finance. You don't do what your dream or your heart is calling you to. So that's really about it. Right? Well, um, I think the world of medicine lost um, lost uh, a potential <laughs> <laughs> in you by switching to finance, but we gained, we gained much more than we, we lost in the long run. You've done a lot of work and you've had quite a lot of experience in the personal space, in, in um, personal finance, in helping people break the mold and, you know, achieve wealth. Now, if I were to ask you, what would be your advice to a young working class Nigerian who is determined, you know, to, to live above poverty, to create wealth and just to hit his financial targets? What advice would you have for that person? I think focus on behavior. Focus on behavior first. Don't only focus on the investing and the money. Focus on behavior. What be, if you start early and you are prudent and you save? Look at the word now: save, not really invest. If you have the habit of you earn, you take some aside and you put it away, and you say this stuff I put away, I want to do stuff with it. If you have that behavior locked down, you are ninety percent more likely to make it than the other guy. Right. So if you are a 21-year-old, just got a job in whatever place you are in, your behavior is very important. How you spend the, the money that you have, how you save and how you then invest. If you get the behavior right, that means that you are taking your income, you're taking a part of it, you're saving, then you're converting those savings 
to invest in something very, very early so that you have the power of compounding working for you. Then you get, quote unquote, lucky. When you have cash saved up, then you're going to get lucky that someone wants to sell a land because it wants to travel and you have the cash lying around to buy that land at very, very low cost. But without capital, you are you really can't. The world is rigged towards those that have capital. And when you start to work, you're not going to have capital. So you have to look for what we call in that stage, that's your accumulation stage. Get the behavior right. You know, people are spending money. Don't, it's a very hard thing to tell a young person not to buy an expensive phone or not to buy, but you just have to focus on the big picture and the plan and say, I'm going to deny myself this because I want to have this. I'm not talking about the save, save, save and don't enjoy. I'm saying be strategic in what you want to do. You know, you have a plan, you have two years, I'm going to save this amount of money, I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to buy land somewhere and I'm going to sell that land take the capital and then buy shares. And I'm going to have that basis of going to borrow money with the shares to then buy a house. You know, you have to have that sort of thinking. It's the behavior really, not what you earn. I've seen many people that work in oil companies that live broke. And I've seen people that were drivers in a bank that bought land and have built flats and are doing okay now. So it's really the behavior itself that people really don't look at, not just investing and all that. Very well said. Thank you very much for that. Now, honing down or honing down to investing, there are various schools of thoughts when it comes to investing. Personally, I, I advocate or I believe in uh, value investing, but there are thousands of that school of thoughts. There's growth, dividend, momentum, um, active, passive, all manner. Is there anyone in particular that catches your fancy or that you advocate for or that you feel has a better chance of delivering long-lasting wealth? I think it's relative to who you are. Um, when you say value investing, what you're simply saying is that you're buying a value, you're buying a, an established company, right? But at a lower price. So if we're to talk about in Nigeria, you're saying you want to buy, say, First Bank, or you want to buy what maybe UAC or whatever at a low price. It's an established company, blue chip, but the price has fallen that you want to buy at such a value, right? That's what you're saying with value. But if you're saying growth, you're trying to buy into a high growth company that you're trying to buy today irrespective of the price because you think in the next five years it will grow more than it is today. So it's really value and growth. The rest are all going to be, they'll fall into the middle. Like you're buying this for dividend. When you buy value, those companies already pay dividends because they are mature growth is not as open as it was before so they give the shareholders back the profits in way of dividends growth companies tend not to give a lot of dividends out because they need that cash to grow themselves so it's going to depend on the kind of investor you are and of course your age if you're a younger person then of course you want to grab growth because growth will grow with you and would appreciate your capital but you have more volatility or there's more risk. So they say this, if you buy MTN as a younger person, that's a growth, a growth stock in quote. You are taking a bet that MTN in the next five years is going to be worth double what it is today, which means your, your money will double, right? But if you bought an established company, say, I don't know the name now, that maybe Oando, just an example. If you bought that, 
you are not really, there's no growth per se, but they make like Nestle. That's a good example. Nestle is established. It's going to pay you tons of dividends, right? But how fast can they grow? They grow straight inflation per se. So it's who you are. I would say younger people should grab growth. And as you get older, you want to switch more to value, right? And as you get older, you also want to switch more to dividends. Something that's going to pay you. You're looking for income now. But as you're younger, you're looking for capital appreciation, kind of double the money you have because you really don't have money. But as you get older, you're looking for income. So you're going from capital appreciation back to income. That's really, so it's who you are determines how you should invest more or less. I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. Perfect. You, you've hit the nail right on the head, which is what I also believe in, that one's personality and one's temperament kind of influences the kind of investing that one ends up doing. That's correct. Yeah. Now, for an average individual investor who has a day job and has his attention divided, you know, has to pay attention to his day job, pay attention to family, pay thoughts again about building wealth for the future, what would you advise? Would you advise investing in individual companies uh, where the person has to, you know, uh, dedicate time to study the company, to do this, do that? Or would you advise just like a broad spectrum um, index investing? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, the question answers itself, right? So if you don't have the time, I mean, going for an ETF, an index fund, which means that you're buying like a mutual fund, like a basket of funds, it's going to be the only way for you. Uh, I mean, look at it this way. The U.S. has close to 7,000 individual securities. How are you going to analyze those guys? There's just, just no way. Even Nigeria has got maybe less than 500. How are you going to analyze 500 stocks? There's really no way, right? So you can buy, okay, I want to buy banking. Then you buy banking ETF that buys up the banks. The good thing is that you've diversified and you're buying the good, good uh, banks. The bad thing is that you're also going to buy the bad banks. So when you buy the index, you're buying everything, right? So you, you, you don't lose money, but you don't make money, right? You make money that the index makes. And if the index loses money, you also lose money. But you don't get that pop. You don't get that Zoom or that Tesla individual stock pop. But you also don't get the loss that occurs when maybe if you bought Evergrande bonds and they crash it, then you lose your money as well. So it's volatility vis-a-vis return. You, you know, if you fly high, you are near to the sun, you can fall. But if you just fly just below the sun, maybe you might just make it, you know. But I would say if you don't have the time or if you're just starting, you have to first of all start by buying mutual funds or ETFs just so you understand what's going on, first of all, before you get into individual stocks. That's really, unless you know the stock very, very well. Maybe you work in a company and the company sells its own equity. Yeah, sure, you can. You know your company, you can analyze it yourself. Sure, go buy it. But I would always advise that you get your feet wet slowly. So you buy the ETF, buy the index fund, then buy the sectors before you go buy the individual stock. Thank you very much for that insight. Is there any chance you can walk us through your personal process of finding and analyzing individual companies that you choose to invest in? Yeah, I mean, it's so let's assume the first thing you want to do is to get what's your objective, right? So why are you investing? So let's assume I am 49 and I I want to retire. So that means my objective is I'm looking for a company that's going to pay me a dividend, right? But it's going to be safe because I want to take my retirement money 
and putting that company. So the first thing I want to ask is, okay, what's top down? What, what sector? What country or what sector? What's hot? Or, you know, because if it's going to pay dividends, it's going to be more or less like a value play. So you, you now you have what's called screeners. You can just go, I mean, lots of stock screeners are free. Even if you go to Yahoo Finance, you can put Yahoo Finance and put dividend yield. Just type in dividend yield in there, and it's going to give you the, the stocks um, the, uh, or the highest dividend yields or so. You want to then compare the dividend yield to, say, the inflation rate of the country you're going to retire in. So if you're going to retire in Nigeria and dividend and the inflation rate is going to be 15, then what's the return on the stock market in that country? If the stock market return for the dividend yield, not the price appreciation, the dividend yield, it's not going to beat inflation. They want to go somewhere else and say, okay, can I invest in a different country, a different currency that can beat inflation? But if you then go to the US and you then convert your naira to dollars, you're looking for a high dividend paying stock. Then you have a list of those. It will give you a universe. Then you start to narrow down and say, okay, I now have the high dividend stocks. Which ones have a good volume? You're looking at volume because those are going to be the ones that can trade in and out and are not going to like hold your, you're going to hold the stock and you can sell. Looking at volume, you're looking at return on equity, you're looking at return on, on capital, uh, looking at the PE ratio. So you basically use the main dividend yield to get your short list, then you narrow it down. You want to have a, a figure for your hurdle rates. What is the hurdle rate for return on equity that you are comfortable with? What is the hurdle rate for a dividend yield that you're comfortable with? Like I've already given you the example, it must beat inflation. So if it's not beating inflation, you're better off just buying a government bond and being safe than buying a stock and taking a risk and then not getting that fixed income return. So objective is first, and then you do your screening and then you walk through. You want to use the fundamental analysis to verify your initial prognostics. So you're not buying based on historical. You're using the historical to sort of verify your thinking more or less. So you want to remove the bias. So if I like MTN, for instance, I'm going to say, okay, what has MTN done in the last five years? Past performance doesn't guarantee future performance, but it gives you prologue. It tells you, okay, in the last five years, they did this. So that gives you an idea. Okay, this is how management thinks about return on capital. And this is something that they might consider when going forward. So you want to base it on data, on data, 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 and then you want to take a decision. There's no right investing. It's investing that matches you. So if I was a 20-year-old guy, right, and I was going to buy stocks, I wouldn't go buy high dividend paying stocks. That wouldn't make any sense for me. So I'm going to look for high growth stocks. So ordinarily, I tell people, don't buy high PE stocks. Don't buy high stocks with high price to interest ratio. But high price to interest ratio means that the, 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 the market believes those stocks are high growth stocks. If I'm going to, if I'm, a, I'm going to look for high growth stocks, right? If they don't pay dividends, I don't care. But I want to see that prices are appreciating. I'm looking for volume. I'm looking for, if possible, um, low cap, Russell or the, what we call Nigeria, the, the penny stocks. Those are the guys I'm looking for. Those guys turn around very quickly and I can make a capital appreciation. But as I get more money and I get maybe older, I'm transiting away from that into more fundamental plays of blue chips. So the, the, the summary is that your age, your objective, your risk profile determine the kind and how you're going to research and implement. Perfect. Thank you very much, sir. 
I'm just going to pick up on a few things that you just mentioned. Uh, I'll try to see if you can give us some specific values of what you feel may be like um, the minimum hurdle rate somebody investing in the Nigerian market should consider. Um, say, for example, mm-hmm. for dividend yield, what would you recommend should be the minimum hurdle rate? The inflation rate. The inflation rate, okay. okay. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a clear one. Okay. See, um, the price of a stock, they say, is the present value of the future earnings. So if a stock is priced at 10 naira, it means that that stock is going to pay you 10 naira in dividends. If you took all the dividends you would ever get and you discounted them back to today, it would be 10 naira. But it's never going to be correct because the stock would, it, the company would make either more sales or less sales and then the stock price will go up and down. So this concept of intrinsic value comes in. So the simplest way to understand buying stocks is that if stock has an intrinsic value, that is very, very difficult to calculate. But some people can calculate it within a good margin. So if I believe that the intrinsic value per stock of, say, Zenith Bank is 5 Naira, and then the market price of Zenith Bank is 3 Naira, then I buy because I'm buying below the intrinsic value. But if I believe that the market intrinsic value is 5 and the market value is 10, then I don't buy because it's overpriced, right? So intrinsic value is just your anchor. But then again, if the, if the, if the market is saying it's 10 naira, you want to ask yourself, why is the market saying it's 10 naira? Why? Are they being irrationally exuberant or do they know something? You know, the market believes that any bank is going to buy another bank and they're going to be bigger than they are. Then the market is saying that the market price hasn't taken that um, information into the price. So the market is bidding the price up. That is fair. But in, in these instances nowadays, you find stocks going up for no reason. Example, Hertz. Hertz in the US was bankrupt, but the shares were still going up. So it wasn't even an intrinsic value. It was worthless, but the price was still going up. So you want to be careful to, you want to interrogate and see why is the price going up? Is it going up because the market has not yet accumulated or taken into account? the growth profile of that company. So it's th- th- there is no formula that you're going to use to say intrinsic value. If you, if you look online, you're going to see a calculation for intrinsic value. But that calculation is based on estimation of earnings, which no one can know. Nobody could detect COVID, but it came. Perfect. Thank you very much. You've walked right into my next lot of questions. And um, I must confess, I'll be probably opening up a can of worms with this um, you've met you've <laughs> you've made mention of um, intrinsic value, irrational exuberance, um, prices going up, um, totally disconnected to the underlying value of the company that we are talking about. Now, coming down to cryptocurrencies, what's oh. your what's your view on them? I, I noticed from your recent write ups, from your recent posts on Twitter, I think um, yeah, a little bit embracing the trend, let me put it that way. But what's your general overview of the cryptocurrency and this, this entire craze? Mm. So my, my view of cryptocurrency hasn't changed. From the start, I've said it from day one, it's gambling. What are we gambling on? We're gambling on demand and supply. That hasn't changed. Um, when I first started talking about cryptocurrency, 
the utility case was very, very low because people were buying cryptocurrencies and there was no use for them. I think Bloomberg did a study that only less than 2% of cryptos were actually used in transactions. The ETH was nowhere, you know, it was just people were buying it and selling it and the price was going up. So play that was just a pure um, gambling. You are buying and it's called the next full tier, the greater full tier. You are buying to sell and the price is going up. But the environment has changed since then. I mean, there was a time Tesla was accepting Bitcoin. And you've seen all, there's no major investment bank or commercial bank in the US now that is not at least looking at cryptocurrencies. You have cryptocurrency ETFs in Canada. You have the crypto, crypto futures in America. You have Ethereum now being used and other kind of smart crime contract now being used in banks, in elections in food security and all that. So the use case has changed. Because the use case has changed, that's like the earnings. The earnings now have to reflect in the pricing. So it's still a gamble, but it's now a gamble based on actual fundamentals. Because the more people use cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, then the more the price will go up. The more the price goes up, the more people coming in to buy and all. It's still a small island of users, but I think the use case has gone up clearly. So that's why I'm into that space now. And what I, what I mean that I'm in, my main attraction to cryptocurrencies is the, the staking aspect of it. Because there's inflation in holding the Naira. If I simply took Naira and I bought US dollars and I put it in my pocket, okay, I've stopped my value falling because the dollar isn't falling as fast as the Naira. So my value is frozen like in the fridge. It's not rising, it's just frozen in time. But if I took those same dollars and I bought, say, Bitcoin, and then I staked it, staking means I just gave it to the exchange and I said, do a fixed deposit for me. I can earn anywhere from 2% to 9%. So you can see the, the clear case used that I can just take my Naira, buy dollar and stake, and I'm earning a return from doing nothing. And it's not trading, it's not, it's just a way to hedge my portfolio from inflation, like buying gold, but gold is paying me a dividend. That's just the way I look at it. But now you get, um, people get carried away with this crypto thing. Like, oh, blah, 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 blah. What, 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 the, use, the use case is still very, very narrow. I mean, how many people in the world use crypto? If you notice, it's used by Nigerians, by China, people that have very, very issues with their financial payment system. In the US, there's a lot of, there's Coinbase, you can use a crypto card, but still, how many Americans still use cryptocurrencies for day-to-day -day transactions? That's still where we are right now on that. Um, I, I totally agree with, with you with regards to the cryptocurrencies, the use case rising, the fact that we should all approach it with quite a lot of trepidation and, and skepticism. Now, what percentage of an individual's portfolio would you say, okay, this is gambling, but maybe you could just put this there and see how things eventually turn out. What percentage of my net worth should I be thinking of putting into Bitcoin and into cryptos? I mean, even even without um, cryptos, right? I always say, um, I always have like a 1% play money that I can do whatever I want with. I don't care if the money, if I lose the money, that's fine. I always have 1%. If I have $100, I take $1 out and I say, I'm going to do whatever I like with this. I can do this, I do this. And I say it on Twitter. 
Last year, I bought five shit coins. I did not know anything about it. I just bought them and I said, let me see what's going to happen. That's that fund. That's where that, that fund comes from. It's very good to do that because number one, you learn about that sector without worrying about the money losing. You know, you 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 you, you it's money you in your mind you've lost, but you're trying to see what will happen in the sector. The last time I bought a put in um, Johnson and Johnson, I lost all the money there, right? But I tried it to see oh, this buying and selling options. How does it work? I tried it. I saw what it was. I lost the money. Fine. I'm not going to put the bulk of my portfolio. So I would say if you are younger or whoever you are, you should have at least 1% in what we call play money that you're trying to invest to learn. But if you lose the money, you're fine. But in terms of just pure trading, the younger you are, you should do more of that. The older you get, you do less of that. You can go from 10% to 5%. But I don't think you should do more than 15% in trading. That's a loss, right? So anything you can lose is what you're putting in trading. If you win it, you're fine, take it and put it back in your main account. But I would say everyone should have a 1% that you can play with and lose, that's fine. But the younger you are, you should have a trading account. And as you get older, you want to reduce the allocation to that trading account. It's You can't make money without taking risks, yes. But if you don't take the risk, you don't make the money, yes. But we should also have risk management uh, mindset in that. So yeah, I don't see anything wrong in that. Now, zooming out and looking at the big picture of things, um, looking at the, the the crazy advance in price of tech stocks, I, I know you've talked about growth, looking at all that is happening in cryptocurrencies and all, is there any chance that we are in, a, in the middle of a gigantic bubble at the minute without realizing it? No, in a bubble and we realize it. The, the, the difference is that the difference is that what is causing the bubble, the bu- bubbles are not the problem. The, the markets always have bubbles and then always bust. That's why, that's the whole idea. If you look in time, it always goes up, down, up, down. But what is the trend? The long-term trend tends to go up, at least in the US market. If you look at long-term, 100-year, it's up. But if you zoom in, you see up, down, up, down. So I don't think the bubble itself is the issue. Is what is causing the bubble? The bubble now is being caused by a lot of cash that was printed for COVID and also a lot of technology. So it's very, very easy to get cash and to invest cash. So in the past, if a company was bankrupt, nobody would buy it because you couldn't get a loan to buy a bankrupt company. But now you can, if you're Robin Hood, and you open an account, you can apply for margin, and you can do with it whatever you like. So you see AMC, you see GameStop. Technically, those companies, when they did all those short trading, those were dead companies. and But they were kept alive because people were going and buying them. So those, those guys were anti-market. They were not really going with the fundamental. Those companies, make no mistake, they were dead. But because people put money in, they've survived. I and mean, maybe in GameStop's case, they've given themselves time. They've sold shares, paid up their debt, and now they've recovered, right? Because they could not do that 10 years ago. Nobody would have bought their shares. But now you have Reddit people buying their shares and giving them fresh liquidity to pay up those debts that were killing them. And now they are reborn. So you can ask yourself, is it a bad thing that they're doing or is it a good thing that they're doing? The whole idea of the market and when you have a bubble busting is that people go into the market and just like you have a herd of sheep, people get sick and they die off. 
and in nature, people die off and then they get eaten by jackals and all that. Same thing in financial markets. Imagine if companies didn't die, you will still have a black and white television company, we'll still have a railway company, we'll still have a horse and buggy company. But because of technology, so economists call Shumta, if you don't have technology and you don't have new advances killing off old companies, then you don't have productivity. And this is the mistake I think that we're going to see in, in future. GameStop should have died because they are trying to sell digital products in physical stores. You don't have to be a genius to know what's good that people are not going to buy. In the future. But they are, they are alive today because people are buying them. So are they alive to sell? Are they going to be selling, still selling game, physical, um, digital games in physical stores? They can't. If that model is gone, it's dead. So this, that's the thing with the bubble. So GameStop, quote unquote, is a bubble because it's being kept al- alive irrationally. So we know it's a bubble and we know why it's being kept up. The question is, how should you trade that irrationality? That's the question really now that everyone is asking. Okay, should I sell? But if you sell, you see people buying GameStop at 100, it's going to 200. You'd be like, wow, I missed out FOMO. So you go buy. And because you're buying, the more people are buying. So it's this vicious cycle going round and round. Yeah, so in the end, it's really, this goes back to just the guys that can do their risk management. People are borrowing and they're buying and they're making a million. People are not buying and they're losing. It's really upside down. I would say know your, know your ex-Trump, have your strategy, be very clear on what you're doing. That's just it. Thank you very much, sir. Um, I'm just going to throw a little curveball just as we begin to wind down. That's fine. If you could meet one person, living, dead, fictional character, one person whatsoever, who would this be? And why would you like to spend time with that person? And not not the religious person, right? Anybody, anybody. <laughs> Let's take the religious guys out. Um, Elon Musk, Anwar, Anwar Sadat, and I'll maybe Newton. Mm. I've never heard that second name, or probably I I didn't get that second name. Uh, the president of Egypt Ooh. that made peace with Israel ah. that was killed. Unworth that. Okay, interesting. I'll take a note of that and do some reading and digging about about him. A- any reason why yeah. you've made a choice of those three people? I mean, the, the, the Newton is probably the smartest guy in the world that that lived. You know, like it's, it, there are many smart people in the world, but how many smart people really did real life stuff? I mean, if you honest, if you know what Newton did, you know uh, what he did and how quickly he did them. It's amazing. Just to listen to him talk, yeah, would be interesting. It was the same with, with Elon Musk. I think Elon Musk is like a modern-day Newton. But his own case is, I mean, look at what he's doing. Um, space and things. It's just everywhere. And, you know, you, you, those kind of people sometimes, I, I mean, I tweet that he's an alien, you know. You, you, you want to understand how do those people think, you know. How does he think about stuff? It's amazing. But for us, that is just to understand how I mean, if you understand the history of these two people, um, Jews and, you know, Muslims and their cousins, but their enemies and then they fought wars and the end made peace. I mean, can you imagine making peace? You know, in Nigeria, we talk, 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 all this stuff. That would be like Nam Kano. 
flying to Katsina to hug Buhari and then sign a peace accord. So when someone does that, you want to really ask him questions. Why, why, what, how would this process go on? Who said no? Who said yes? And you can imagine what you would learn uh, from that. It's a pity he's dead that we clearly, that story needs to be told and it's really helped. People are now fighting over nonsense. That was the real fight. And they made peace till today. You can say they had peace, but till today, they haven't fought a war and they have embassies and they're technically at peace till today. And he paid his life. So it'd be interesting to understand that, that you learn about management, about leadership, about taking decisions and consequences for decisions. So yeah, that'd be interesting. Perfect. And um, just as we begin to sign out, um, one last question. For people listening, for listeners out there who want to, you know, glean some of your knowledge or possibly patronize some of your services, because I know you've talked about some pro bono services and then some other services like your your consultancy services. Um, how can people get in touch with you to make the most of these um, opportunities? Yeah, I hear you. Um, the, the thing really, to be quite honest, which is that I never really did this to make it a commercial thing. I was just tweeting. People ask questions and I answer, right? But it's gone to the stage I cannot literally manage my DM box anymore, nor can I respond to everyone anymore. And I do so many engagements now. I do webinars. I do um, shows. People call me and ask me questions. So literally what is happening is someone basically a long time ago made me an offer and said, okay, let's just manage the back office for you. And, you know, we'll, we'll take all this off you so you can focus on doing your content. And then if possible, if we have someone says this, then we can negotiate and all that. So I still do financial education. That's really my calling. And people call and say they want to get just to talk to them about how they can do a financial plan. Yeah. They can DM or they can send an email. Yeah. And then the, the, the guys listen to it and then they said to me and I'm able to work with people uh, on that. Look at it this way. I try to, to charge people money so that I can keep doing what I'm doing. We pay for Zoom to be $800 and we pay the full licensing. It's about two grand. And we write, we do a lot of writing in narometric, a lot of research. We do infographics and all that. So all that is free of charge. We don't charge. If you ask me a question on Twitter, I answer. So we don't charge for that. But I have people that I'm responsible for. So that's really the idea yeah, to use those people paying to fund what we're doing. Our ultimate objective is financial education. We also have a foundation that we that we do. Uh, we link authors that write educational books to Nigerian schools. So we, we look for Nigerian authors that do educational books. And then we buy the books and we tell them, go donate it to a school. And that way we promote the Nigerian authors. And we also promote reading at that level. It has to be an educational book, like a textbook or something like that, not just a novel. So we also do that as all where all that revenue goes through. I have a day job, like I said. So this is my way of giving. But even you can't give without having an organization that is funded. And that's the whole idea. 
I think the best way to just follow us on Twitter, you know, at finplancaloaja1 or just go online, kaluaja.org.org. It's very simple to reach us. Yeah. It's been a huge pleasure having this chat with you. Um, thank you very, very much for clearing your schedule. And um, um, I'm grateful you replied my DM. I, I, I know you've you've just mentioned that it's gotten more difficult to reply all the DMs that you get, but I'm grateful you've done this. Thank you for giving back to thousands of people listening out there. Um, any last words just before we let you go today? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's since we're on the finance class, right? So I was if I give one word, what you should do. Okay. So plan, start early, save, be consistent, watch inflation, and give. If you can do that, that's just a formula. It's not difficult. There's nothing complicated in finance. It's just plan, start early, save, be consistent, watch inflation, and give. Build your your financial plan around that. There's nothing complicated about it. It's not, there's nothing new in finance. Nothing. Just keep it um, to those fundamentals and you'll be fine. Thank you very much, sir. You are highly appreciated. Thank you very much. Uh, do have You're a, welcome. Do have a lovely week ahead. <laughs>